With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your free premier resource for all things Ohio State news and Ohio State sports. Coming at you here on a Monday afternoon. This is Monday, August 29th, so imagine you'll be listening to this here on a Tuesday, and what a glorious Tuesday will be, because now we are done with the weird abstract stuff. We're done with having to, to really just dig deep into our bag of tricks to find something else to talk about. We're done with having to blow up routine transactional news, because it is honest-to-God football week. There is an actual Ohio state football game that will count on in the standings that will be played this weekend and we can talk about it a little bit colton that's good news isn't it it's the best news that there is we don't have to pontificate about who the starters are going to be anymore we don't have to talk about off-season minutiae and preseason polls and whatever wacky thing jim harbaugh saying we get to previewing games and talking about ohio state football yeah, absolutely. So today, there's there is actually a little bit of transactional news we do still need to talk about because it's it is important. But we we want to we want to spend some time talking, you know, t- stepping away from power rankings and and standings projections. And there's going to be a bunch of stories on land grant because I know you want that because then we like writing it. I want to talk to about Ohio State's actual first football game. That's against Bowling Green, a school that you might have heard of because they at one point used to employ a football coach named one. Urban Meyer. Uh, but before we, we get into that a little bit, I, I do want to talk briefly about some of that those ro- that roster news. This, this, this broke earlier on Monday. You, you listening to this tomorrow, you, you may have heard a little bit more of the specifics, but uh, Uber recruit wideout Torrance Gibson has been suspended for the entire year, or rather for the semester. Not by Ohio State's football team, but uh, suspended by the university for the 2016 fall semester for a, quote, violation of the university's student code of conduct so gibson will not play this football season what is particularly interesting here was that in his press conference shortly after this statement was released urban meyer indicated that he disagreed with the suspension although he would not go into detail as to why gibson was suspended there's some details kind of trickling out now wouldn't go into detail about an uh, appeals process but that would seem to indicate that he still supports gibson uh what do you think what do you think about this Is, is this is this whole kind of interplay between the football program and university surprising to you what do you think this means for gibson's career what's 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 on your mind this this surprised me to hear about it yeah i think it's surprising in the sense that whenever suspensions usually happen it's either from like meyer said the athletic department or from the football team itself and you don't necessarily see a lot of university suspensions for student code of conduct so in that sense i I think it's you know kind of interesting in the way it differs and that meyer would publicly come out and say that he disagrees with it and and we don't need to get into any of the details 
right now until you know it actually comes out if it ever does come out why he was actually suspended but just in terms of on field stuff I know that Gibson had the the big spring game and we talked about that in that pod and I think you and I both agreed that especially for a guy like him who already has so much promise and just with the physical tools and the traits you, you can tell that if he puts it all together as I think SB Nation's Bud Elliott said he could be a first round pick at wide receiver just based on his physical traits but he still hasn't played an actual down of college football so in terms of on field stuff I don't think this really hurts Ohio State at all. I know the receiver position is kind of not underdeveloped, but we just don't really know what's going to happen this year. But between Corey Smith, Noah Brown, Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell, Austin Mack, Terry McLaurin, K.J. Hill, and then everybody at H-back with Dontre Wilson, Curtis Samuel, and Demario McCall, not to say he was going to get lost in the shuffle, if he weren't suspended, but I don't think this is huge news in terms of on-field stuff anyway. I think I agree with you on just about all counts there. Uh, it's it's hard for me to kind of like get all bent out of shape about the, about the actual act at this point because we don't know what it is. And to be honest, I don't plan on using a lot of land-grant resources to dig into it. Uh, as far as we know, no crime has been committed. And uh, so you're, you're not going to find a police report. So that means this is something that either has to do with student conduct or academics. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit telling that the that Urban Meyer doesn't seem to, th- you know, doesn't agree with the decision here. We'll kind of see how the interplay comes out because that's a that's a little bit unusual. Noah Spence was the first thing that I could think of where the, the university, I mean, the football program, you know, clearly got out in front and said, we support the player. We don't agree with this punishment. But that came from the Big Ten rather than the university office itself. But, yeah, I, I it, it stinks to lose somebody who's has that much raw talent but I, I don't think it would have mattered a whole lot this year either I mean Gibson had been injured for for part a big chunk of fall camp he tweaked his hamstring wasn't going to be around for a little while and had to have some ground to make up learning a new position there's a lot of other guys uh, in that wideout room and there's about to be a lot more since Ohio State just saw you know has commitments from two other five stars so my my hot take my guess is that Gibson's ultimately not going to play for Ohio State to, to miss an entire year where he can't practice or he can't be with the team and there's going to be I'm sure so many other places that are, that are going to want him and it you know he'll have to decide does it make more sense for me to go FCS or to take a, to take a transfer here and, and, and do some sitting where I might have an easier path to playing time or do I stay here where I've already kind of bumped into some injury and suspension problems before you know I'm, I'm not saying I have any inside scoop or anything here but if you are looking at hey Ohio State uh, is going to have some roster crunch issues to, to get everybody under the cap to, 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 to finish the signing class. Here's somebody that has been in the doghouse a little bit. It would make me think this is a this would be a possibility where he might go somewhere else. And that would be unfortunate for Ohio State. It might be better for him. Yeah, and I think that that's probably the main takeaway from this. You look at the player and his, not issues, but his whatever happened last year with him I think not dressing for one of those games maybe it was the Indiana game and getting suspended or almost suspended and possibly wanting to leave the team last year and then deciding to stick with it you know when you're two years in and you're a high level recruit like him and you probably could either play FCS or go another division one school and Maybe he'd even have some people out there willing to to play him at quarterback if if they really wanted to. And I think that that's something that may still be on his radar. I, I think that maybe it's not likely that he leaves, but 
and the writing isn't on the wall, but it certainly wouldn't be shocking to see him leave Ohio State at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, whatever changes that he needs to make, both health-wise, football-wise, life-wise, uh, are made, and, and hopefully nobody was really hurt in, in whatever happened here. And whether that, you know, if, if he stays at Ohio State, I think that's great because his upside is still as high as just about anybody coming in there. If he goes elsewhere, I, ho- I hope he's very successful. Well, it'll be interesting to follow, I think, that story over the uh, the next couple of weeks. That, that wasn't the only kind of interesting roster as far as the football news is concerned out of, out of that press conference. And one thing I think that's actually kind of notable about Urban Meyer is that occasionally, or maybe, maybe, maybe even more than occasionally, there's actual news or interesting things that happens in these press conferences that felt like very un-Jim Trestle-like. That's not what a lot of, of college football coaches are like. The Buckeyes are going to have a new kicker for their first game. And not just a new kicker, but a walk-on, which I, I, I think it's been at least five years since a walk-on started anywhere for Ohio State. And outside of specialists, it's, it's really pretty rare for them to just be on the two deep at all. Uh, Sean Nuremberger is hurt. Uh, I think he has a, it's a groin injury. We'll, we'll see how long he's out here. But walk-on Tyler Durbin will be getting the start here at place kicker. He's going to handle kickoffs and field goal attempts. I'm I'm curious here. That the obvious play here is that we, we have a couple of days to think of some, some good fight club memes here, right? That's that's the big takeaway? Yeah, that's got to be the best, uh, the best thing coming out of this. I don't know if there's even any pictures of Tyler Durbin on the internet, but if there's anybody who can get him with that bar of soap, the fight club soap, it would be most appreciated. Yeah, I, I mean, we would probably haven't heard of him because the first rule about kicking club is don't talk about kicking club and we've done a pretty good job of not talking about him i have his uh i have his, his bio pulled up here he's from oh he's from he's from pretty he's nearby uh where i live he's from fairfax virginia had played soccer at james madison university after a stellar high school and club soccer career uh, scored collegiate goal for james madison majoring in civil engineering at ohio state so that's for that's from his bio congratulations to tyler I'm going to hazard a guess that if Ohio State's looking at like fourth and three from the Bowling Green 34-yard line, they're probably going to be a little bit more likely to go for it <laughs> than, than maybe they were a little while ago. I don't think that's going to impact this game that much. But if Nuremberger is injured or misses substantial time or, or takes a long time to, to recover, that could be problematic, especially since that really might have been the position group where Ohio State felt the weakest going into the season since he hasn't quite lived up to his recruiting hype so far. Yeah, and I think if you look at one of the, maybe not a big problem for Ohio State last year, but just something that they didn't have, I think Bill referenced it in his Ohio State preview, is having kickers that can consistently make kicks longer than 40 yards. It's a nice club to have in your bag, and Ohio State certainly didn't have that last season. And Nuremberger only really got a significant action last season against Notre Dame with those three field goals in the Fiesta Bowl, but that probably will be a thing for as long as he's out unless Tyler Durbin just really crushes it in practice and builds up that trust, it's hard to see Ohio State not being uber aggressive when they cross the 50-yard line as long as they're not in, you know, fourth and eight or 4th or and 10 or something like that and they want to punt. But the, the thing that I want to see or I'm curious to see coming out of this is Ohio State's coverage units and kickoff units have been pretty awesome since Urban Meyer has showed up, especially with the elite recruiting. You get got four and five-star, maybe not five-star guys, but high-end recruits who are playing kickoff coverage, and they've been pretty damn good. So I'm curious to see, at least for that first game, 
is he able to at least give those kickoff guys a chance to go down the field and make a player? They're going to be working a little bit from behind. So rather than the actual field goal kicking, I think that the place kicking is uh, is of more interest to me to see how they do. That is, um, that's that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that. That one of the side effects of being able to rec- of recruiting as well as Ohio State has is they're able to throw out four star guys on the on those coverage units, athletes all over the field, some individuals who aren't necessarily going to see. Time at running back or wide receiver or maybe even defensive back right from the beginning uh, can can play really well there and uh, maybe having to be a little bit more conservative in, in that in that atmosphere could could have an impact that that that's going to be an, uh, a good thing to um to follow up on I think. Yeah, and I think you go back and, and look at that Alabama game in the Sugar Bowl and you go back and watch some of those kickoffs and I think Corey Smith made at least one, maybe two huge hits and those are plays you tend to forget about. But when opponents are starting with the ball on the 12-yard line instead of the 25, in the end, that tends to make a huge impact, especially with how Ohio State is able to flip field position on offense as well. Yeah. The, I think the other interesting thing from that press conference, you know, I think I tweeted some kind of glib joke about this, was with Meyer talking about his ideal philosophy here from, from the offense. Ohio State's offense is going to look very different from last year, both in terms of play calling. It, it can't be as, uh, as run heavy as it was before. They don't have an Ezekiel Elliott. They don't have some of that personnel. And also because there's just going to be a gajillion new faces, and uh, so when, you know they, they asked him about what his what sense of what what he was looking for in terms of balance. He likes to see things 50-50 and wants to see Ohio State run for 250 yards and throw for 250 yards. Let me ask you something: Can you even do that reliably when you're playing video games? Because I can't. Well, it's interesting you asked that because I did some digging after he said that in Ohio State <laughs> since Urban Meyer has has been here since 2012 they've done it 11 total times they did it three times in 2013 the cal game penn state the night game and then that massacre against purdue on the road and then they did it eight total times in 2014 including that final three game stretch and then last year they got close i think it once but they weren't able to do it at all and i think like when you hear coaches say that it's it's total coach speak yeah you know we want balance of course it would be awesome to gain 500 total yards and to have it be 250 rushing and 250 passing and those are arbitrary numbers but I think to Meyer's greater point it's that the offense can't be as unbalanced as it was last season and even when you look at the bad games they've played or the losses they've had it's been partially because they haven't had balance in the 2013 Big Ten Championship game against Michigan State they weren't able to pass the ball and they got into that hole and it cost them against Virginia Tech they weren't able to pass the ball in 2014 and then obviously last season against Michigan State they had no chance in hell of passing the ball and even to a greater extent all of last season basically other than I think maybe the the Maryland game in the Western Michigan game so I think his greater point is that yeah the the rushing offense probably is going to be if not where it's been close to where it's been for the last three seasons but if this team has any sort of Big Ten aspirations and, and even beyond that, they have to be more balanced. I don't know if 250 and 250 is 
going to happen, but they were able to do it eight times in 2014. So I think that type of balance is, is what they're striving for, even if they're not able to hit those type of numbers. Well, well, first of all, I'm glad you actually decided to go look that up. That kind of value add is really what, what just sets Land Grant apart from from uh, the unwashed masses on Twitter.com. I, I, that, that surprised me a little bit. I struggle to do that when I'm playing NCAA. I, I, I recently uh, inherited a PlayStation 2 and have been playing to, uh, to, you know, NCAA 2010, and I usually don't throw for 250 yards a game. Like, I think it's interesting how we, how we talk about balance because it's, I, 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 I think it goes beyond just running and throwing. I mean, a yard that you get running the ball counts the same as a yard that you get from throwing the ball, and the points that you get there count the same way. And I imagine that if you are gaining two, I mean, if you got you're you're running and throwing the ball the same number of times and all of your passing attempts are you know four verts deep shots and all of your rushing attempts are iso up the middle i don't know if that's that's necessarily balanced either you might be able to approximate something uh, like balance with a really pass heavy scheme if you're doing something like washington state does where you use a short or intermediate passing game schematically in a similar way that, that you might do to some kind of perimeter rushing attack that's not really how ohio state wants to do it but we were uh, it's it really clear but there were big chunks of their playbook that they weren't able to execute last season i don't know if you're going to be able to get the whole thing like you saw in 2014 it might be a little bit ambitious but if ohio state's getting close to that I think they're going to be in good shape in a lot of the games that they're playing because really, once you get past those first couple of weeks, like the, the first month of the season is, is pretty heavy on some on some tricky offenses. But I think once you get past that Indiana game, it, it gets a little bit easier for the defense until you get near the end of the season. Well, and if you look at that 2014 offense, what, what made it so special is, yeah, the offensive line gelled and, and they were great after that game against Virginia Tech. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott turned it into maybe the best back in the country that season. But even in the passing offense, it's not just that they could throw the ball. It's that they could hurt you with efficiency and explosiveness. Evan Spencer was a good efficiency option. Michael Thomas was one of the best in in the country in being efficient. And then they probably had the most explosive or one of the most explosive receivers in the country in Devin Smith. And so I think that that's probably where more so than just like the raw yardage numbers, where that balance comes from is they were able to throw with reasonable efficiency last year with with Thomas and some of the other options but now they need somebody to step up I'm not worried that they're going to be able to get seven or eight yards but are they going to be able to to get a 35 yard pass in, in bigger chunks than they were last season I think that's probably where that balance statement comes from is that just like last season somebody needs to step up into that role and make big plays through the air and part of that's on JT Barrett as well because we saw him consistently underthrow Mike Thomas in certain spots last year so as much as it is on receivers stepping up I think it's on Barrett kind of fixing whether that's mechanical issues or whatever it may be he's got to be better in that regard as well you're you're, you're absolutely right it's funny Luke and I were talking about that recently about what we were expecting on a JT Barrett since while he was successful near the end of last year it was almost as if he was a run first run second kind of guy and you, you know if you've got Ezekiel Elliott you could read option Notre Dame and Michigan to death with a sledgehammer that's that's completely fine that's not going to be an, an option this year and you know it's, it'll be interesting to see because I feel like Urban Meyer has said this multiple times since he's been Ohio State's coach if you don't want to run the quarterback more than 12 times a game you only want a couple of, of designed runs and especially in short yardage situations it seems like Ohio State's really relied on that a lot the the you know read option quarterback keeper plunge ahead for three yards like you know we could kind of 
uh, call out that play before it happened a lot last year. My my my, th- my guess is that the way the roster is constructed, they're going to have to be a little bit more dynamic, and we'll see what happens if uh, things are struggling a little bit if they fall into that same kind of play calling rhythm where, you know, Barrett ends up. I mean, maybe Barrett ends up even leading the team in rushing this year, depending on how you know Samuel and um, Weber split their carries. Probably would not be an ideal situation, but within the realm of possibility, I think. Oh, absolutely. And and to your point, that's another thing he said that J, he would like JT Barrett to only have 10 or 12 rushes a game this season and about half of those on design runs. And to dive into the numbers again, he carried the ball more than 12 times, eight times in 2014, and he did it five times last season. And all five of those times were his last five starts, excluding the Minnesota game that he was suspended for. Carried 19 times against Michigan, 23 times against Notre Dame. Can't do obviously, that. obviously the infamous 15 carries for 44 yards against Michigan State. That's just not a good strategy in general, especially when when defenses are keying on that. But like you said, that's contingent on some new offensive line pieces, the young running backs and the passing game. And and Meyer in particular has said this before. So I, I think I I speak for both of us when I say I'll believe it when I see it. It, it would be nice. <laughs> it'd be nice if they didn't do it. But if if they come out against Bowling Green and they throw the ball 40 times, I, I think that would be great because we kind of know that they're probably going to be able to run the ball. But at some point, they're going to have to trust in these receivers and young skill position guys and maybe even a Marcus Bott tight end to make plays. So just like the we don't redshirt players here. When it happens, then I'll be on board with it. Let's talk a little bit now about Bowling Green specifically, whether this is a game where Ohio State's going to chuck the ball 40 dang times or run the dang ball or, or what they're going to do. Before we get into the nitty-gritty here, you know, set aside your research. Before you, you kind of sat down and prepped for this and everything, what are things that you know about Bowling Green? Either a football team, their university, the town in general. What do you know? What, what, what do you know? What do you think about when you hear Bowling Green? I love the logo. I love the colors. I think those are the first two things that come to mind. One of my good friends played hockey at Bowling Green. And so I kind of got some inside scoop onto the football team in the last two or three years and how crazy some of their football players are. And uh, some of those stories that I can't really talk about on the podcast. But um, I've always had a healthy respect for Bowling Green. And out of all the other Ohio schools, I think that they're probably my favorite. Okay. Uh, you know, ho- hockey school is the first thing that comes to mind, too. Uh, there's no really debating or accounting for taste. I, I think the colors are ugly as hell. Um, but, you know, there there's no latent Cleveland Browns sympathy within my household. I think maybe that's where it kind of rubs off on a little bit. Can't say, I don't blame you. Yeah, I can't say it's the most, you know, aesthetically pleasing or wonderful or, you know, cute college campus town, college town in the state of Ohio where there's a, a couple of, I think, really nice ones. And, but it, it has produced some, some some very solid football coaches and some exciting teams, especially last year. Like, if you didn't watch Bowling Green last year, and, and maybe you didn't because other people have lives and don't watch every single damn football team uh, like I do, you missed out on, on really some fun games. I, I particularly enjoyed watching the Falcons just just absolutely sledgehammer the hell out of Maryland. Like, I remember, like, beforehand, I, I sit next to Pete Volk, who used to be their, uh, our assistant college football editor here. He's a Maryland guy. He was like, I don't know. That Bowling Green game might be kind of close. And Maryland people were like, no, it's it's a Mac team. It's fine. And then and they, you know, they beat them by like 21 points or something stupid. So, you know, they, 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 they're, they're a lot of fun, but, but a lot of the big names are gone. Their coach is gone. 
their quarterback is gone their running back is gone their best two wide receivers are gone it, it seems like there's there's uh you're not exactly sure what we're going to be getting here with with, with, with this edition of, of the bowling green falcons just as an aside as well one of the other things i love about bowling green that offense in ncaa 2005 with omar jacobs at quarterback just absolutely <laughs> devastating such a great offense but yeah like, he's like, like he's like the 2007 michael vick almost he's, he's the oh, person he was you, incredible you got to create um in those early college football games if you have a mobile quarterback who has like a speed above 95 before that kind of like fixed the balance issues for like for some of the option plays you don't ever even need to throw the ball you are an unstoppable killing machine yeah if you're playing against one of those teams you're absolutely toast but in terms of of this team like you're saying they lose especially at skill position matt johnson was one of the maybe the best quarterback in the mac last year travis green was a bowling ball at running back and then their best receiver garrick dieter transfers to to alabama to be a part of that program so they have a lot of new pieces and then you lose dino babers who was doing a pretty good job there as well but i, I don't know much about the players that are replacing those guys but just looking at Mike Jinx's resume coming from from Texas and then being at Texas Tech and now being at Bowling Green and what that administration kind of wants for their football program it seems like it, it may not be exactly the same but the principles are are pretty similar to what Dino Babers ran yeah I uh the, the, the their hire was a little bit curious to me you know you, you bring in Jinx who's, who's not really an Ohio guy he's extremely young with somebody who was out you know coaching high schoolers a couple of years ago but but understands air raid principles which is something that Bowling Green's been doing very well you know learned learned here from some of the best and you know Bowling Green has had some success with bringing in younger guys who might be a little bit more recruiting focused there I, I definitely think this is an offense even though they lost so many parts that's still going to be interesting they return most of a pretty good offensive line they still got jacob bennett at left tackle he's an all mac caliber kind of guy you still got i think some skill position parts that are interesting ronnie moore caught you know had nearly a thousand yards catching last year uh he, he's he's, he's going to be a factor they've got scott miller who i think it might be able to step up and play a little bit more you've got a, a couple of interesting of interesting freshmen matt johnson's don't grow on trees people who throw 46 touchdown passes and complete nearly 70 percent of their passes even even if you have a system that enables that there, there's just not that not that many of those dudes the, the question more and this is always going to be the, the, the question with, with a team like Bowling Green, is what their defense is going to be like. And the press seems to think pretty highly of Bowling Green, both the, the coaches and, uh, I mean, both the, yeah, the coaches and the, uh, the MAC press have them tabbed as the MAC East preseason favorite. Despite all of those losses, but in terms of like S and P plus, this was not even this was not a top sixty defense, um, and you could you can run on them a little bit, and uh, they're 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 losing they're losing a couple of guys at at safety and the athletic disparity I think. Uh, on defense is when in a game like this with Ohio State is where it becomes particularly an issue. I, I think Bowling Green is going to be able to score at Ohio State, like potentially a lot. I don't really see how they're going to be able to stop them. Yeah, I can't see them being able to stop Ohio State's offense. Like I said, the main thing I'm looking for from 
the Ohio State offense is, are they going to be committed to throwing? Is that something that if they do find themselves in a little bit of a shootout, are they going to lean more on the run if the game's a little bit closer and kind of the more known pieces, even though that Mike Weber's never played in a game for them, are they going to just lean on the offensive line and bear it and running the ball? Are they going to open it up a little bit? But I'm actually more curious about the defense. And I, I know that we've talked about how Bowling Green has all these new pieces. I think this is going to be an awesome test for Ohio State's new look secondary. You're going to see a lot of kids get playing time and Bowling Green probably won't be scared to sling it around. So I think that that game, Tulsa as well, and then Oklahoma, you could find three better passing offenses, but in succession, I think that if you really want to see where this defense is going to end up, I think that's a pretty good test with these first three weeks. And then secondly, Bowling Green's offensive line returns six guys who have combined for 140 starts in their careers. They were fourth in adjusted line yards last season and 15th in stuff rate. So looking at Ohio State's defensive line and some of the newer pieces, are they going to be able to cause havoc in the run game? And are they going to be able to get pushed? Because if there was a weakness of them last year, and that was with Adolphus Washington and Joey Bosa, who are both very good against the run, it was giving up push in the run game and not being able to cause enough havoc. So are those new players going to be able to come in? Is, is everybody in the interior of that line at defensive tackle going to be able to make plays for the defensive line? So I think those are the two things that I'm most intrigued about. One, the secondary, how they, how they perform against a team that likes to throw the ball and the defensive line against a pretty good run blocking team with a lot of guys back. Yeah, I, I, I agree on both of those. The the Everyone's going to want to talk about Ohio State's running backs and wide receivers because those are the sexy positions, and, and there's, there's a lot of uncertainty there. But it's really going to come down to the line of scrimmage. Ohio State's ability to have a, a just a nasty pass rush, I think, should continue for this season. This is going to be an interesting first test there to work in some of these new guys. I don't know if Bowling Green's going to be able to run their kind of you know their their up tempo spread it out passing attack if they're not able to have enough time to make some of those decisions because Ohio State's athletic enough where they can take advantage of some of those things. I, I feel like the Buckeyes are gonna win it's a I think it's like a 27, 28 point spread. I think I would like Bowling Green to cover. I feel like this is gonna be kind of a sloppy game in the beginning, maybe a sloppier game here in the end and the Buckeyes win by like twenty three. Yeah, welcome back to Ohio State football season where a twenty point win is gonna just bring down hell from hell from <laughs> hell and fire from the skies and that the Ohio State program under Urban Meyer is crashing and when Michigan absolutely demolishes Hawaii by 11 billion points you know it's it's going to be the end of Ohio State but I, I think that sounds about right something like 38 to 20 or 38 to 23 a comfortable enough win yeah. but enough things kind of go shaky or there's a few glitches, especially in the past defense that you can see that the Oklahoma game is going to be absolutely terrifying in two weeks. Yeah. This, this is a team that scores a lot of points, even against good teams. They hung up 30 on Tennessee. They scored 48 uh, against Maryland. They got 35 at Purdue. They got 41 against Memphis, but they also, you know, gave up gigantic amounts of points. Uh, even, even the teams here that are solid. And I think they're going to be a little bit worse 
uh, which I mean, new coach, new lots of lots of everything here. So you know, I th- I think I'll be fine with that. Bowling Green's a team that's going to win probably eight or nine games, be in contention for a division championship. If that's your warm up game, that, that's more than fine. I think we'll learn a little bit more here about Ohio State. I've, I've schematically, I might be a little bit more concerned about what Tulsa might be able to do because I'm a I'm a I'm a dumb hipster. So we'll, we'll look forward to that here on Saturday. A lot of other really good games on Saturday too. So it'll it'll be you know if you if you have Oklahoma. Houston up on a second screen. I don't think anybody's going to judge you. Uh, definitely make arrangements so you can watch ten hours of football on Saturday because this the just the, the full depth of the lineup here is is really quite impressive. I don't know if you heard Matt, but it's going to be the best opening weekend of college football ever. Are I don't you, know if ESPN what? told you that. No, no, because I watched the whole thing on mute. <laughs> ESPN I, during that Cal Hawaii game in. To their credit, they they should because it's an awesome slate. But man, they were just beating it into the ground about how good these games are. And I forget somebody on Twitter was like, after they've done all this, all these games are just going to be stinkers. They're they're all going to be horrible. They're all going to be blowouts, and it's it's going to be one of the worst opening weekends ever. But it's hard to imagine that with how many awesome power five matchups we have and when when ucla at texas a&m with the kind of recruiting that those programs have have kind of brought the last four or five years and the storylines with those schools with josh rosen and then with kevin sumlin and their quarterback situation when that's like the seventh best game of the week that's pretty damn good yeah when you're your night game digs BYU and Arizona and Phoenix. Like that's that's still interesting. You got USC Alabama. I mean, yeah, like I, I get it. I mean, that, that was part of why I had to mute it. Uh, I I think I listened to the announcers for the Hawaii game for the first quarter and a half, I guess. Plus, you know, it's late, so just, you know, stuck on the headphones or whatever. But well, I, I can't wait to see what kind of you know weird meme that they're gonna beat they're gonna beat into the ground uh, a little bit later on this year. So that that covers the big things here. There's one other thing I want to actually. There's two other things I want to talk about. One is actually related to Ohio State. Uh, and, you know, this that, this is actually relatively big news, but I feel like it got completely buried just based on the the timing and, and also the way this fan base works out. But Ohio State basketball is going to uh, need to fill several scholarships uh, for 2018 when, when the bulk of, of this group is leaving. And they, have, they, they went, a, went a big step towards filling that and going in a much more Ohio-centric direction. The Buckeyes picked up two more basketball commits. They have from a forward, Darius Baisley, a consensus four-star guy. He's the number two prospect in the state of Ohio for 2018 near Cincinnati. And they got a a, a high three-star wing, Justin Arens from Versailles. Uh, So now the, the, the Buckeyes have three out of the top four of the best players in the 2018 class for Ohio. It's early. There's there's going there's going to be some more changes. The number one, Dwayne Cohill, uh, combo guard, six two, four star guide, .97 rating, hundred percent Ohio State crystal ball. It, it'll be Ohio State still looking for a point guard right now, uh, probably in the 2017 class. Um, they may pick up another guy for 2018. Uh, there may be some roster attrition again after this season. I think that the big takeaway here. Because both neither of these players have a ton of other offers. They're, they're getting looks from Xavier and Stony Brook because Jeff Bowles is sniffing around Ohio. And you have uh, interest from, I think, a lot of other peer basketball programs to Ohio State, your Michigans, your Michigan States, your Indianas. The, 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 the takeaway here is not necessarily in the specific player 
since I think we're going to learn a little bit more about the kind of guys that they are in a year, but it's about the, the direction that Ohio State is taking towards uh, recruiting. After, I think, being criticized for going a little bit too national and missing out on some guys in Ohio, uh, and for 2018, they are unquestionably recommitting to the state of Ohio, and, and even for 2017, too, they were, uh, you know, were recruiting Kyle Young uh, pretty heavily. That was a four-star Ohio guy. He just committed to Butler because I think his kind of overlapped with some of these other 2018 guys. But they're, I don't think that that's going to be the case. So maybe Ohio State's recruiting classes aren't quite as renowned as they were earlier when they were going into Indiana or Kentucky or some of these other places. But if there's a, a maybe under-the-radar prospect in Ohio, the Buckeyes are going to work a lot harder to try to get them. And that's been one of the, I think, as you address, one of the main concerns that people have had, especially when it comes to recruiting, is that we've seen some top-level Ohio kids go out of state and you know when you're losing those kids to duke or kentucky or kansas there's really nothing you can do that's just going to happen when you're a high level recruit but it is nice and like you said there's a lot of time until 2018 but it looks like you know three of the top four guys right now are committed to ohio state and then Dwayne cohill is an ohio state lean so it does appear that they're focusing much more on Ohio. And, and I think that that's ultimately a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I can't complain either. I'm, I'm, I'm As a fan, I'm much more excited to see someone take a, a flyer on a local kid than uh, somebody elsewhere. And I think people who have a little bit more understanding of what the Ohio State basketball program means and have that emotional investment are going to be a little bit less likely to transfer, which is, uh, was, was certainly a big problem here for the Buckeyes. So I think, I think that's a positive development. We're going to see over the next couple of months whether the Buckeyes are able to track down another point guard. But uh, this, this year should be a little bit more interesting and exciting than, than the, the crappy seasons that we've watched uh, the past couple of other years. So that, I think, takes me up through big Ohio State stuff. Did you, did you have anything else on your mind? Anything else big happened with you recently? No, not Ohio State, but you mentioned picking up a PlayStation 2 and playing NCAA 2010. I think we've reached this point in the podcast where we can start breaking down video games. Yeah. And listeners, this is the most important part. I recently picked up a PlayStation 2 as well, and I'm playing NCAA 2007, the one with Reggie Bush on the cover. And I got to play USC in the national championship at some point, either tonight or, uh, <laughs> or tomorrow. I have, I have Florida Atlantic. I built them up. I won a national championship in year two, went undefeated, got left out of the title game in year three, but the BCS put me in in year four over Oklahoma, gave me some love. So I'm playing for the national championship against USC going for two and three years. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes but i'm recruiting at a very very high clip right now. <laughs> i'm very proud of it <laughs> it's i uh my, my wife's made fun of me a little bit because really that is kind of the most fun part of the game i i had to get one of the newer ones because i liked the, the ability to be able to simulate when i don't have the ball or simulate if i'm already up by 28 points because the amount of time that i can dedicate to college football video games in one setting is as you would imagine much smaller than it was when i originally had this game and it could go on like four hour benders the I, I i just i just closed down a dynasty i had with maryland they were like the the i started at ohio and moved up to maryland i kept on trying to get a better job even after i was winning 10 11 games and like all the jobs that were being offered me were worse or, or alabama and like i don't want to spend my time pretending to make make alabama good <laughs> it is more fun when you take some crappy team and and kind of and, and build them up i'll have to go see who's going to be like the next 
the, the, the next target here for me when I, when I start up a new dynasty, probably after this weekend, because I'm going to be a little bit more busy with, uh, with real football. Well, and on that front, for the listeners that haven't checked it out, SB Nation College Football just put up a pretty fantastic article earlier this week about this subject, and they asked people to, to tell their greatest NCAA football dynasty stories. And there was one in particular that, that took the cake in my heart and probably many of our listeners' hearts that, uh, that some kid, he had been winning that championships somewhere and then he took the Alabama job and he just like recruited solely like one two-star guys <laughs> and brought their overall rating down for like six or seven years and then quit and took the old Miss job and he said Alabama wasn't better than like three and nine for the next decade and that's just like a, a deliciously evil NCAA story that uh, probably my favorite one ever that, that was the best one you know like I, I, I put I put a story in there and a lot of them are very similar like I took a horrible team I I either took them to a championship or I took a better job to an average team and made them a dynasty. And that's funny because that's not how college football actually works. And then, uh, but, but somebody being creative and using that to just, you know, dismantle a program. It's, that's delightful. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it might be a little bit hard to justify spending like 15 hours of your real life to do that, but it is, it is some pretty delicious hate. Yeah. That's like next level evil shit. But it, it makes for an awesome story. Yeah, no, that's that that's what that's what the game's all about. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find some other steal some other time to keep playing. I ended up with that in Kingdom Hearts, which was a, a surprisingly fun game, and it's a little bit easier to have that around because my little kid will walk in there and go, "Oh, Mickey Mouse," um, and like, yeah, this is you know, it's it's definitely an okay game for children to to be watching, and they recognize the characters, and, and it's about as fun as I remember it being when I when I first had the game. Um, so my my actual Xbox is kind of sitting there for a little bit, and, and just being a big, big expensive Game of Thrones machine. <laughs> well, and I'm an old school game type of guy myself because I have an N64 as well. So I, I keep it real late 90s, early 2000s. No, oh, I I, uh, I mean, like that Raspberry Pi that I bought earlier in the off season was one of the uh, the smarter things here that I picked up. Real, real quick, there was this, uh, a, 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 this kind of weird segue, but I don't know if I've told you this story. Speaking of, of things that are that are, are, are not very smart that it came up over the weekend because the weekend was my was my toddler's second birthday we had we had we had a party we invited some people and, and like my uh a couple of our ex-interns these guys who are, who are still in college or just graduated college at like maryland and some of these other dc places they came over so it's this kind of funny juxtaposition right you've got like these older people with their own toddlers i know from church and some of my older neighbors and then you got these kids who are threatening to teach my toddler how to play flip cup with apple juice um which is which is great and and we, fantastic right yeah like that i mean life um, skills you gotta, you gotta start young like i was trash by the time i <laughs> I, 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 I got to college but we were talking a little bit about how they were in high school because the the interns you know it wasn't that long ago they still they're still close with a lot of those friends and everything they kind of remember how they were uh and this is going to shock you but i was the probably the biggest possible nerd that that you that you could that you could you you could be like pick pick like a nerdy nerdy thing that you could be into in high school. Uh, like band? <laughs> Shit, man! I was the band president. I was in every band. There's like there's there's, there's plaques in my high school with like, you know, uh, dedicated to my 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 band awesomeness. That's next. That you really got to be committed into being a nerd if you're gonna go into band. Oh man, no, oh no, like that was that was my jam. I was in all the bands. I was in theater. I was in debate. I was in chess club. Like all, all of these things. And then we were talking. Have have I told you the story of my the my the, my worst executed plan to try and woo a girl during 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 this time period 
No, but it sounds fantastic, and I, I think our listeners deserve it. If you've listened to this for forty-five minutes, I think I think you may enjoy this story. Maybe maybe I'll share on Twitter a little bit. This is this this I, I think I think I've shared a couple of these. But so I'm I am a sophomore in high school, and I have a huge crush on one of the members of our JV soccer team. Now, a, a typical, like the, the correct play would just be to go talk to this girl and, and you know, maybe, maybe not lead with, my, hey, you know, I'm in band or, you know, that, you know, that kind of thing. But, but I wasn't capable or didn't understand how to do the direct approach. So my thinking was, all right, I got to figure out some way where I can like hang around this person a little bit more and then kind of have her get to know me and then I can work my way in that way. So my brilliant plan was I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to volunteer to be the announcer for the JV uh, women's soccer team because they don't have an announcer. And like, hey, you know, that, that, that's good. It's good with, it's good with sports. Uh, you know, it'll be good for my career. And then I get to, you know, I get to hang out with this girl. So uh, I did it. And um, the problem, I, I went to this really small high school in kind of like rural, rural Ohio. And um, there wasn't, uh, we didn't really have a very sophisticated Operation for for the press box. I had this kind of old equipment, but I, I did it for a little while, and and they actually appreciated it. I, I think I actually had one or two organic conversations with this girl. I was feeling pretty excited, and then we get to the end of the year, and it's like it's their it's their big game, and like the the, the stands are like actually almost full, which is pretty unusual. And I'm, I'm I'm all pumped in there, and I'm using my 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 most deep baritone you know announcer voice, which is kind of hard to do when you're 16 and your voice still kind of squeaks a little a little bit, right? But normal press box announcing equipment has buttons you can use to turn the goddamn microphone off and mine did not so what i would have to do during the game is i would you know say like oh you know coming into the game number 76 blah 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 and then sit there very quietly until there was a stoppage in play when i'd go like read the like the the announcements or something or or yell for a goal so at this game i had an announcing partner and I forgot that the mic was still on. And over the course of this game, I turned to my partner and made a remark about the girl in question. <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't really explicit. It was just, I, you know, I, I think I said something and I just thought she was really hot or, or, you know, you know, or, or something akin to that. So the problem was, is that not only did my colleague hear this, but the entire stadium heard this because it went out over the microphone. And then guess who decided to immediately pay me a visit to the press box? Oh, I can guess. Who, who, do, who do you think it was? I think uh, the old crush decided to walk up, or your mom, either one. No, 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 no. It wasn't, wasn't my mom. My, my mom was never there, but her dad did. Her dad, the editor of the local newspaper, just strolled right in the press box, walked right up to me, and cool as a cucumber, he put, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he's like, you know, I, I appreciate what you're doing here. You know, you have, a, you have a great announcing voice. Just want to let you know that that light is on. And when he stared at me, and he walked right out. And uh, what do you do after that? Like, do you like do you go like would you would you try to talk to the girl? Like, yeah, yeah, you heard me. What's up? Or like, do you just move away? Like, what's what's the play there? I mean, I think as a 16 year old, you're just kind of screwed there. You just got to take your medicine. And if if you have the gusto, if you have the cojones, then maybe you just you play the uh, yeah, I said that. What about it card? But it's hard as a 16 year old. And it's funny that you bring up this story because that, you know, I work in in radio and I, I work for an NBA team and an NHL team. And that's, you know, one of my jobs producing the broadcast is to make sure that our talent is is off the air and that, that's that's a luckily you know we we have a i think we can get like a 10 second delay or even longer if we wanted to but 
that's a big deal. And working in college radio, I had that happen to me a few times, more than a few times where our equipment would go wrong. And we would, we were supposed to be in queue, but we weren't in queue and it was still going out on the live stream. And in one particular time, I, I won't say what, what I said on air. It was definitely probably more explicit than, than whatever you said about this girl, but we were during break and I always just like to, to give everybody else shit and, and make them laugh in the studio. And I get a text from my mom and she says, your mic is hot. And <laughs> it was, I felt, and at this point, you know, I'm 22, 23 years old, but it, it's probably the same way you felt when, when uh, her dad came and put his hand on your shoulder, that just feeling, there's no way to replicate that feeling of just like, Oh shit, there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing I can do. I just have to live with this. So it's funny you bring that up because that certain thing has happened to me more than a few times. And I still deal with it now on a, on a daily basis almost I, I bet anybody who is an announcer or works in radio or you know has done this for an extended period of time probably has a somewhat similar story i, I don't think it's that unusual um hopefully if it happens to you it's not career ending or it's you're a little bit more confident in yourself that you can handle it maybe better than i did as a 16 year old because uh, there is no happy ending here uh, I uh, was was <laughs> summarily fired from any other kinds of um, uh, announcing gigs at Granville High School, and uh, me me and this young lady never became an item. Although you know, I mean, it, I, the sad part yeah. is you didn't even get to shoot your shot. No, no I mean, like I I I, I probably no, I, I I was too afraid to. I'm like, no, this is this is uh, I just need to die. <laughs> I either need to die or I need to change my name to like Mateo Figueredo and I need to go move to Mexico or something and pretend this never happened. There was uh, there, there there's, there's there's no coming back from that. Like my uh, my 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 dating life prior to uh, finally meeting my wife is not one that I think is going to, uh, you know, it didn't go all that well. I have, I have a couple of these really dumb stories. But one, well, if you're ever, if any of you listening are interested in broadcasting or you're broadcasting right now, the main takeaway from this is always assume <laughs> that your mic is hot. I mean, you just always have yep. to because no matter how good you are at it, it, it only takes once. And like you said, it can just screw pretty much everything you were trying to do. Your microphone is always on, and you are probably not going to go woo a girl successfully based on your amazing broadcasting career. Just like you're probably, unless you're oh holy butt, you're probably not going to make somebody like you because you're funny on Twitter.com. You're going to have to think of something else. Uh, what that is, I have no idea because I've been married for four years, and I've forgotten what it's like to be single. I would be completely hopeless. <laughs> yeah, trash takes aren't the best pickup. No, that's that that's that's what the kids told me. That's what the interns told me, and and you should follow them because they're they're a lot more hip than uh than I am. We're coming up on close to an hour here, though, so we should probably wrap this up because undoubtedly some more Ohio State news will be dropping. Uh, you know, in the time that we've been talking, Joey Bosa actually signed his contract. Undoubtedly, by the time you are listening to this, there will be some more news, uh, and that news will be on our website, landgrantholyland.com. Uh, the the doldrums of the off season are over, and if you are used to this website publishing five to six times a day my friend you are in luck because that is your life now um gonna, there's, a, there's a ton of stuff here we got a, we got a preview series we got all the teams here on ohio state schedules going up we have a bunch of recruiting information that's going up we have some breakdowns here on some of these roster transactions we're going to get a little bit more nitty-gritty into the film for what ohio state can bring to the table here for bowling green so you should be sure to follow up on all of that and then make yourself comfortable because you got a hell of a weekend here coming up yeah, a ton of stuff coming up. I'll have my I Got Five on It preview where I 
break down five things to watch for in the game. And then the, what you can do for us, other than reading our content and sharing it, like the podcast, go out on iTunes, leave us a review, tell us our stories suck and we need to stick to sports. Uh, whatever you want to do, leave us a review, like us on Facebook, and make sure to follow at LandGrant33, and we'll uh, we'll keep you covered for the whole football season. That's right. You can find the podcast on iTunes. You can find the podcast on our website. Uh, we're going to make a switch. We we're From Blog Talk Radio, you'll be able to also find this on SoundCloud moving forward. Um, and if there's other ways to check the podcast, we'll be able to get that out to you as well. This is this has been Matt. I'm at Matt SBN. I'm all over Land Grant. That's Colton. He's all over the internet too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy this wonderful, beautiful week here of football. Thanks for listening, and go Bucks.